Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Monday, February 11th, 2019, starting uh, just after 1.43 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 193rd episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Vedic astrologer James Braha about the concept of dasha periods and the Vimshodari dasha technique in particular. Uh, hey, James, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. All right. It's really good to have you. Thanks for reaching out uh, to do this episode with me. Um, so let's start maybe first by talking a little bit about yourself and who you are and what your background is, just to give my audience a little bit of info on you. So when did you start studying astrology? Maybe let's start there. I had my first reading in Boston around 1978 or 9, and the astrologer said, there's a retesting of your marriage that's coming. Uranus was about to hit the seventh cusp. Uranus is a couple months from the time of the reading. Uranus hit the seventh house cusp. My marriage exploded, and I went to see Isabel Hickey, one of the greatest Western astrologers alive. And uh, she said, well, you know, there's nothing you can do here. Just just let it go for now. Your wife will come back in a couple months, etc. In the interim, I could not fathom how the original astrologer and Isabel Hickey, I couldn't figure out how they could know so much about my life. So I went to the bookstore. I picked up a book on Pluto because Pluto was hitting my son at the time. And that got me into Western astrology which I used for uh, probably about, well, I went to India in 1983. I was not a professional Western astrologer, but I was consumed with it, as we all are. <laughs> I was consumed with it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I felt like something was missing for me. Like, like, I just had the idea that no matter how long I could do this, I would never be that great of an astrologer. And I, I just felt something maybe missing. I don't know. Um, I had hit a Rahu Dasha at that time, which I'll talk about. When, but Rahu just, Rahu from the Hindu system, I didn't know the Hindu system, but that exploded everything. And within those first couple of years of Rahu, when you hit a Rahu Dasha, uh, there's enormous changes. So I had a divorce and my father died within the first period of Rahu Rahu. Wow. And, and Rahu's the North Node and it's viewed as like a, a sort of disruptive energy in, in Vedic, right? Yeah, but 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 too many people think of Rahu as being negative, and it's not. But the thing is, when a person hits a Rahu Dasha, in about I'd say sixty to seventy percent of the cases, as soon as they hit Rahu, they have enormous changes—good, bad, could be anything—changes of career, change, a parent dies, just all kinds of big changes. Mm -hmm. So when that Dasha hit, my life went through this enormous change, and I was grieving my father's death plus the marriage came a point where i said you know i'm pretty useless right now i've always wanted to go to india i'm going to go to india people said are you going to learn hindu astrology i said well i've seen the books and i, I you know the books i couldn't get anything from them i said if i can learn i will but i kind of have my doubts so i brought about 25 horoscopes with me of of friends and relatives and after I was there for about three months, it took me three months until I found a teacher. Then I learned the Hindu system, came back, used it for a year. 
And then I was having a session with an old friend. I'd been practicing now professionally Hindu, and I always use Western as well. I just don't mix the systems, but I look at the Western system. I use Western transits and progressions. I use information that's very valuable from the Western system, but I don't mix the systems. I was doing a reading for a friend of mine. It was all going well. And I said, oh, a couple of years ago, this was a very nice period, sub-period, Dasha and Bhukti. It's very nice. He mm. said, that's when I tried to commit suicide. Mm. The next day, I was packing my bags and calling travel agents. I said, what the hell is going on? And right. I went back to India a second time, found out why his problems were there. And, and that was basically it. So you felt like your your training wasn't sufficient at that point. So you went back for more to to improve your approach. Yeah, this was too this was too blatant a fact for him to say he had tried to commit suicide. I was just flummoxed. So who did you find? So you found a, a guru or like a teacher the first time you went to India, and that was how you initially learned Indian astrology. The first time I went, I had these charts with me, and I was just traveling around. But everywhere I went. I would try to get an astrology reading. The very, the very first guy I saw, he looked at my chart and he said, oh, young man, did you have some woman who did a terrible thing to you? I said, well, I got divorced. He said, and he called his son over. He says, look, look, see, this is why he got divorced. And then I, and then I said, is there another woman coming? He said, oh, we're late. We have to leave. Believe it or uh, not. Believe it or not. The so, next, Yeah. Uh, no, actually, that'll take me off on a sidetrack. I'll come back to that. Keep going. <laughs> the next, so the next, that was in, um, I don't even know where that was, but I got to Benares. I was in Benares and I found an astrologer and he's looking at my chart and he says, you're going to write some books. And I said, what? Because I was 31, 32 at the time. And, and I, I didn't know anything about writing books. And he said, yeah, yeah, you're going to write five or six books and blah, blah, blah. But he wasn't, he did my chart, but it wasn't, I wasn't impressed, sufficiently impressed to say, I want to study with you. So I kept going. Then I met uh, someone at the Hare Krishna movement in, um, oh, it's a very sacred place. I can't remember the name now, uh, Krishna's birthplace. But anyway, um, so he, he told me some things about my horoscope. Again, I didn't want to study with him. I was, then I went to Delhi. I was nearing the end of my, of my stay there, which was three months. I had about two weeks left. Mm. And one day I didn't have my ephemeris with me. And one day I believe it was Jupiter had hit the seventh house cusp. I woke up this morning. I had two or three weeks left. I was in Delhi. I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the bookstore. I'm going to buy all the astrology books. I'm going to go to Rishikesh and I'm going to, and I'm going to study astrology. This was totally absurd. You could never do it. But that's what I decided I would do. I get to the bookstore. I'm picking up Prashnamarga, Palidipika, uh, Brihat Parasara, Hora Shastra. I'm picking up the classics. The man comes over. He says, young man, can I help you? What are you doing? I said, well, I want to learn astrology. He says, you won't be able to learn that way. He said, but I have a teacher for you. So he calls this very famous, he was just beginning to get famous. His name was Santanam. So by the time I got there, Santanam had already translated three or four of the classic Indian texts. So he says, yes, I will teach him. So that night, seven o'clock or so, I get in the in the rickshaw. He's driving around. He finds, and I'm expecting this, you know, old man with a beard 
And it turns out to be someone about five years older than me, maybe 10. He was, maybe, I was 32, maybe he was 40 or 42. Hmm. And so he said, okay, uh, you could study, we'll study three hours a night. You'll come, uh, we'll meet in Delhi. And I said, does it, does it really work? Because, you know, this is all predictive. I said, does it really? He says, yes, yes, yes. And so that was Santanam. And he was my first teacher and he was more of a scholar. So I got a very good background from a scholarly teacher. Right. He's somebody that was literally translating Sanskrit texts, yes. like ancient San- Sanskrit astrological texts yeah. into modern languages. Yeah. The other, the other, when I went back the second time, it was in Bombay and I wasn't planning to stay in Bombay. I was planning to go to the South of India because I had already been in the North. I wanted to go to the South. But the second day I was there, I went looking, I, I went to the tourist bungalow and I said to them, do you have any addresses of, of gurus? They said, yes, yes, we have plenty. And then I said, wait a minute, do you have addresses of the astrologers too? He said, yeah, yeah, sure. I said, I said, I said keep the gurus, give me the addresses of the astrologers. So I called one astrologer, Gunsham Joshi, who was, he was famous. And I said, I'm a Western astrologer. Um, and I know some Hindu astrology I've been practicing a little bit, but but I want to come and study a little bit. So when I get there, I was extremely lucky. I get there, and there's eight or nine astrologers in the room, and I'm like, what is this? He says, because you're a Western astrologer, I called all the local astrologers. So we're there, everybody's talking for a bit, and then this one guy takes my chart, and he was like me. He loved astrology in the same way that I did. He couldn't get enough of it. He looks at my chart, and there's no dashas and buktis. Dashas and buktis are the most important predictive element. The dashas were not listed on my chart. And he says, you got married at 21 or 23. And I said, I got married at 23. How did you know that? He said, transits. I always use transits for marriage. We talk a little bit, and I say to him, I want to study with you. He says, I'm too busy. I I cannot do that. And I know my karma, I have a very strong ninth house in the Hindu system. And when I want knowledge, I always get it. I just, it's, I'm very lucky that way. He continues to say that he can't teach me. He's too busy. And I don't, I'm thinking, what is wrong here? I know I'm supposed to get this knowledge. There's eight other astrologers, but I want him. So finally, mm-hmm. the other guy says, Gunsham says, Mr. Putty is too busy to teach you. But if you'll give him a hundred rupees a night, I'm sure he'll oblige you. I said, that's no problem. That was $10 a day. So wow. so that was how I found Padia. Okay. And that became your second teacher. Was he, were those two then your most two influential teachers in terms of your early studies of, of Indian astrology? Absolutely, 100%. I got the basics okay. from Santanam, but Santanam was a scholar. Padia was a, was a teacher who had been in the field. Padia taught me things that you wouldn't find in books. You find them now because I put them there, but you they don't share their knowledge with everybody. Right. The and astrologers, is- they're, they're, they're pretty private. But when a Westerner comes over, I'll teach you anything you want to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is interesting because this brings up one of the original topics that we're almost going to talk about and that we might might postpone till later, but it was the idea of like lineage and like the transmission of astrology from student to teacher and some of the dynamics that come up within that. And it sounds like there were some important ones already happening there for you in those first two transmissions. You must find a teacher because in the books, there's two problems with the books. One is that now India has money now, but they didn't used to have money. So their currency was their knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
So they would write books, but they wouldn't really share the knowledge very much, the, the modern ones. The ancient ones would exaggerate everything. I have Saturn in the fifth house, and it would say, uh, if you have Saturn, if the person has Saturn in the fifth house, he has lost his mind and is roaming in the villages. Well, I hadn't lost my right. mind. So this is why the books never worked over here. So they always give like the worst case or, or the most extreme the, scenario. The most extreme. If he has this, right. he will be the luckiest man alive. <laughs> you know? right. They ex they exaggerate everything, and this is so critical because they will say things. They will say things. For example, if a planet is exalted, the best sign it can be in, but retrograde, then it acts like it's fallen. If the planet mm. is fallen but retrograde, then it's exalted. People take this literally. The way it actually works is if it's exalted but retrograde, it's not as good. Sure. The, and the exaggerations are all over the place. So when I got back from India the second time, when after I learned what I learned from him the second time, that's when I started to put it in books. I wanted to spread it to the Western astrologers. These were my people, Western astrologers. I said, my God, they've got to know what I know. Because having both systems, it, it just, you know, was really, really, really perfect. Sure. And and so you ended up being one of the early um, Western astrologers who ended up going to Vedic astrology and learning Indian astrology and then starting to write, to come back to the West and write books about it. And you became a prolific author, just for those who, who don't know. And you've written what, like over, I want to say like a no, dozen no, six, books, six, but maybe six. I'm exaggerating. Six. <laughs> six. Okay. Half a dozen, half a dozen books at this point, um, it, which is a lot to me. It seems like a lot. So that's why I'm exaggerating. Um, that have then, from the 1980s forward, had a pretty profound influence on popularizing Indian astrology in the West over the course of the past three decades. What happened was that there had been a book written by a Westerner called Constellational Astrology by Robert DeLuce. Had all the good calculations in there, but it was useless. This was in the 60s. But it was useless as far as telling you how the system worked. So when I got home, I said, oh my God, I've got to get this knowledge and I want to be the first one. So I wrote as I wrote for about eight or nine months and I didn't take any days off. I was I was thinking, look, I know there's other people that know some Hindu astrology. They could be working on a book. So I wrote as fast as I could. And so when that book came out, honest to God, within three months, four months, I have a scrapbook now filled with hundreds of letters. They didn't have emails then, hundreds of letters from people all around the globe saying, thank you so much for making this accessible. Now, the thing is, mm. when I wrote that, I only had a few years of practice under my belt. So I was going by everything I was taught, and I was going by uh, what the classic texts said, etc. Flash forward to around the year... Well, and, and what year was that really quick? That what was year eight, did that it came out in 86. I wrote it in 85. Okay. So you wrote it in 85. Yeah. You'd been studying... Western astrology since the late 70s right. and Indian astrology since the early right. 80s. Right. Okay. And in the very first session with Padia, the very first session, when he, he actually came to my room, he said, it's too busy. I'll come to your room. He comes to the room and he says, you must, I was thinking, you must deserve to get knowledge because I'm coming to you. So in that very first session, there were two things that I was asking him about because I knew I'd been practicing for a year. Number one, I said, when when Pluto hit my son in the late 70s, it had such an immense 
um, effect on me. It just my whole personality became much more, much stronger, much more powerful. And I had a very strong sense of destiny that I would have some kind of big success in a career or fame. But four or five years had gone by and there was nothing. And I said, look, I've had this sense of destiny in my head and I can't get it out of there. I said, look at my chart. If it's not there, tell me so I can stop thinking like that. He looks at it for a minute. He goes, no, no, you'll get fame. Definitely. He said, but not until the 36th year, between 35 and... I said, why 35, 36? This brought into play what's called the great years of the planets, separate from the dashas. He said, Mm -hmm. Saturn rules your career house. It's in the fifth house, which is Purva Punya, or past life credit. And it's aspected to the degree by Jupiter. You're going to get fame, but not until Saturn has its great year. This was the same thing that had happened with the guy who tried to commit suicide. His Dasha Bukti was fine. The transits were fine. But he had hit his 32nd year, which is the great year for Mercury. Mercury in his horoscope was in the eighth house, the house of life and death. And it was right next to Mars and maybe some other malefic. So when he hit the age of 31, between 31 and 32, that was the ascendant ruler. And it was in the eighth house right next to Mars or Saturn. And that's when that happened. So that was one thing that I wanted to know. And Padia told me right away I got to that. The other was that I had, I was 33, 34, 35, whatever it was. And I had seen all my dashas and muktis. And I knew that in the year 1997 or somewhere around there, that I was going to come to a Jupiter Dasha and Saturn Bukti. Now, Jupiter and Saturn are exactly opposite. That's great for Saturn because it gets the good energy of Jupiter. It's terrible for Jupiter because it's getting hit by Saturn. This is one of the ways that Hindu Vedic works. So I knew that when I, and Jupiter rules my eighth house. So I said, holy cow, I'm going to be about 47. I'm going to hit a Jupiter period and Saturn sub-period Jupiter rules the eighth, getting hit by by Saturn. So in that very first night, I said, when I'm 47, 48, is that going to kill me? And he said, not sure. By not sure, he didn't mean I'm not sure. He meant not definite. Because this was a textbook example of a death. He said, you might make it through because even though Saturn's a great malefic, Saturn is the Raja Yoga Karaka the royal union maker, the kingly, the kingmaker, because in my chart, Saturn rules the ninth and 10th houses. So even though it's terrible, it also brings some extremely good energy. When Jupiter Saturn came, hmm. um, I was on my way to England to give, to be the keynote speaker in the British Vedic astrology conference. I was exhausted because we had a six month old son who was awake all night long And right before we left, there was a hurricane coming, and I had to get everything ready. By the time I got on the plane, I was exhausted. Got on the plane. We landed in Atlanta. I'm on my way to England, and I have a panic attack and claustrophobia. I'd never, I'd been meditating for 30 years by then. I never had anything like that. That was the Jupiter Saturn, and it was terrible. But anyway, so I had written that first book, got the basics out. Then the conferences began, people started learning it. And I can tell you, it was really hard when I would teach, it was really hard to get people to get the basics because it wasn't in the atmosphere. 
as time went on, it was in the atmosphere. People learned it quicker. In terms of the background information necessary for, for Vedic astrology, or in terms of what do you mean by that when you're talking about the atmosphere and like the early, like late 80s and early I'm 90s? I'm talking about the, like I came back, I wrote my book in 85, it came out in 86, 86, 87, 88, 89. I would try to get basic concepts, like, for example, if you have a Venus Mars conjunction, Venus is terribly hurt by Mars. So if you come to a Venus Dasha, you got problems. Mars is right next to Venus and mm. it picks up the great energy of Venus. So Mars is wonderful. Just simple concepts like that, they wouldn't get right. them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something, because this is an issue we run into also with the revival of ancient Western astrology that's happened over the past 30 years, is there are just some basic principles built into it that are sometimes relatively simple, objectively speaking, but they're so radically different from the way that modern Western psychological astrology is constructed that can be really hard for new students to pick that up because it, it represents such a complete reorientation of how you do astrology. It's a complete reorientation. It's from the it's from the psychological, behavioral, and predictive to a very predictive. So it's very, you know, yeah, and that whole I mean I'm sure that was part of it because then in the early 90s um Vedic astrology really starts to flourish and there's different organizations set up for Vedic astrology in the west. Right. And um one of those things I was always curious how that worked out is there is almost a different in terms of like the bedside manner of the astrologers in India, it seems like it's a bit different and sometimes it's obviously it's more predictive but also it seems like more more blunt in terms of how they deliver the information and the consultations in a much more straightforward way. And I was always curious if that was also something that you had to get used to or that you had to, was difficult to introduce an established Western astrological audience to. Yeah. I mean, they'll say, if you don't know when you're going to die, how can you prepare your life? <laughs> something like that, right? Right. It's very practical. It's very, yeah. Like, but I mean, would, I would never, I, I, I just don't do that. Now, if I see a if sure. I see a dangerous period, I will absolutely warn the person there's a dangerous period coming, and I will tell them they can have yagyas performed, which are the prayers that the Hindu priests perform. But I also mm -hmm. tell them I had a client a year or two ago, and I have this when I see a very dangerous dasha bhuti, like the one that I had, the Jupiter Saturn. If I see a dangerous period, I actually use the term. I say, look, when you come to this period, I'm going to tell you. If it's for Jupiter, keep Thursdays as a restful day, chant the Jupiter mantra, have prayers for Jupiter, but also don't go on motorcycles. This woman calls me up a couple of years ago and she says, you know, you did my reading and you said, don't get on motor. This was 10 years ago. She said, when you get to this year, 2016, don't get on motorcycles. She said, I actually, she said she got on a motorcycle and had a motorcycle accident. But I mean, mm -hmm. they, you know, um, yeah, so. So they they will be blunt. They will be, um, but the thing is, if you're in the West, you're going to wind up doing the readings in a way that Westerners can appreciate. The biggest problem that I had was that I came here thinking that the chart tells you exactly what's going to happen, and it took me some years to say that's not exactly how it works. It tells you what the possibilities are. It tells you what's likely. It tells you what's possible. But I had it in my mind that this is what's going to happen to you. You are going to be, this is going to be your profession. 
this guy said to me, you're going to write some books. I said, what? He said, you're going to write some books. I said, how many? He said, a few, five or six. I said, are you sure? He said, you know, finally, he says, look, it's not an absolute science. I said, oh, he said, but you'll write books. So I figured, okay, so this really is very predictive. But as time goes by, you start to realize that, like, I get lots of clients where I say, you're not an artist? This chart is all about the arts. And they go, no. I said, well, you should, you should do some art because it's really strong. Three or four years later, they'll tell me that they completely changed their life. They're now an artist. But, but mm. so I don't say anymore, you will be an artist. I say, this is the strongest thing in your horoscope and the talent. That's, you wind up doing it that way. It's, it's appropriate. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, and, and a big keystone there is that it seems like you don't think it's absolutely immutable because of the presence of like propitiation rituals or the ability to alter things through um, mantras or through other things that can mitigate some some placements to some extent. This is the most difficult problem that I've had, and I've had it now for 40 years. I will see a dasha of somebody like for example one of the charts that i talk about this is an old chart this is alexander fleming the man who discovered uh, penicillin um so in the hindu system there's lots of different ways that a planet can be well disposed or badly disposed the worst thing one of the worst things that can happen is for a planet to be in its worst degree of fall so hmm. the the Westerners, you know, in the West, we know that Saturn's exalted in Libra and fallen in Aries. But the Hindus have narrowed it down. The worst placement for Saturn is the 20th degree of Aries, and the best place is the 20th degree of Libra. I think Paul Newman has Saturn in the 20th degree of Libra. It's a really good Saturn. Alexander Fleming had Saturn in the 20th degree of Aries when he was seven years old. He came to a sub-period just a, like he was in a Ketu Dasha, I, I believe, and a Saturn sub-period for about a year. As soon as he hit that, that, that Saturn sub-period, his father died. Now, you would expect something bad like that, and you would expect every time he comes to a Saturn Mukti, there will be problems. Now, if he comes to a Saturn Dasha, that's 19 years. Saturn is a 19-year period in the Vimshotri system. When I come to that, if I see a, a client like that, it's really hard for me. I, I wish I wasn't seeing these people, but I have to do my best. So I tell them, I tell them the areas, like um, if it's Saturn, then the, you know, it can affect career just because Saturn is a career period. But more importantly, where Saturn is located and the houses that it rules, those are going to be problems for a long time. So I will tell him to keep Saturdays, the day of Saturn, as a restful day of fasting, praying, whatever. I'll tell them to chant the Saturn mantra. That, now, they would have to do that, I don't know, 20,000 times or 19,000 times. It's a lot. And these are long, but if they want help, so a Saturn dasha, a Saturn mantra. Nilanjana, Samabasam, Ravi, Patram, Yamagurjam, Chayamartan, Sambutam, Tam, Namami, Sani, Charam. They can do that 100 times a day, takes 15 or 20 minutes, until the 20,000 or 23,000 is done, and that's going to help. Or they can hire priests. to. Ch there'll be three priests, uh, seven or eight priests praying for three days for Saturn, for that person's life, and that can have a good effect. 
these are the things that you have to do when you hit a bad period. It's, there's no other way. And by the way, when people are reading about dashas, they inevitably go to the books and they read, if it's a Venus period, it's about love and harmony and beauty. If it's a Jupiter period, it's about luck and fortune. If it's about Saturn, it's bad and restrictive. This is very, very bad way to do because if Venus is very afflicted, that 20-year period is going to be hellish. I cannot tell you how many people that have come to me over the last 30, 40 years, they'll say, I'm in a Jupiter Dasha. The astrologers said it would be wonderful. I said, your Jupiter is in Virgo. It's aspected by Mars and Saturn. How's that going to be good? Right. So the condition of the planet matters much more than just its general significations. The general signification is is almost meaningless if the planet is in an extreme condition. Now, it's not meaningless in the sense that if they're talking Venus, they're going to be talking love. They're going to be talking beauty and money and throat, thyroid, reproductive system. But as to whether it's good or bad, that's all about the condition of the planet. Sure. Okay. That's a great um, transition point then. So maybe we should get into our, our primary topic today, which is the dasha systems or the dasha techniques. Yes. So um, in the last episode I did, I introduced how in the ancient Western tradition, there used to be this system known as Time Lord techniques, where it would divide the person's entire life up into different chapters and paragraphs. Um, and the analogy that I usually use is that the life is like a book, and you can read where one chapter starts and another chapter ends. And um, so it turns out that that existed in the Western tradition, and, and there were some techniques for it, but then it was lost because the texts were not transmitted and astrology died out. But in the Indian tradition, they also had a similar set of techniques that were known as dasha right. techniques. Right. And they work in a very similar way. They're not calculated in exactly the same way, but a lot of the logic and the premise is very similar. Right. How do you how do you usually like frame I don't want to say conceptually, but some in some Vedic authors, for example, I've read that they say that it's like the natal chart indicates the promise of certain placements, but it's not until they're activated by the dashas that that promise is somehow delivered. I don't know if you do you use a similar analogy or something else. Maybe The thing is, it depends upon how strong the natal chart is. If the natal chart is super strong, you don't even need the dashas and buktis. That's how strong mm -hmm. they are. But at the same time, um, so what you said is, is really perfect. The book will tell you when something is happening. Like, like I was an actor because I was in a moon dasha from the age of, I don't know, 10 to, uh, uh, it's a 10 year period from about, I think from about eight to, no, about 10 to, to 20 or something like that. I was in moon dasha. As, and I thought I was going to be an actor. I was in Carnegie Mellon. I was, it's all I cared about was acting. I suddenly went into the Mars dasha and everything changed. Mars rules my marriage house and the 12th house, which is moksha or enlightenment. Soon mm. as that dasha hit, I got spiritual, I started meditating, and I started having relationships. And I got married a few years later in because Mars was so completely different from the moon. So right. but but it depends on how extreme the planets are. If the planets are not in any kind of extreme condition, then you can go from one dasha to the next without it being, you know, explosive. Sure. When I was married, it, it, in my second marriage, we'd been married just a few years. 
um, when I was about to go into the Jupiter Dasha. And I told my wife, I said, wait until you see this, wait until you see this. Life is going to change dramatically because my life changed so dramatically from moon to Mars. Then it changed dramatically from Rahu. When I hit Jupiter, it wasn't so noticeable. It just wasn't so noticed. So sometimes they are really noticeable and then sometimes they're not. It, sure. Yeah. In terms of distinct phases. Um, but in terms of this, so actually maybe let's step back a bit. So there's many different timing techniques. There's many different dasha techniques, right? But there's one that just about every Indian astrologer, everybody who practices what's also known as Vedic astrology uses essentially, right? Yeah, but this is complex, okay? Um, okay. Today, almost everybody uses Vimshotri. The okay? Vimshotri Dasha. System. The Vimshotri Dasha. That was mentioned in um, uh, Parashara, Horashastra. Um, the, but there were 40 systems used. 40. Okay. Four zero. So, so Parashara mentions like 40 different Dasha systems? Y yes, okay. yes. However, however, 30 of those Dasha systems wouldn't be used in a major sense. 30 of those, 20, I'm, I'm using approximations, okay? 30 of them would be like, there would be one dasha system just to know about your career. Mm -hmm. There would be one dasha system just to know about your marriage. So a lot of those would not be used. Sure. The two big ones are called Vimshotri and Ashtatari. Ashtatari, sorry. Vimshatari and Ashtatari. And when I got to India, they said, these are the two, okay. Vimshatari and Ashtatari. But nobody I ever met used the Ashtatari, nobody. Okay. However, as time goes by, everybody uses Vimshotri. Now, Vimshotri, uh, first of all, if you go back into the ancient texts in the 6th century, in the 7th century, in the 5th century, there were a lot of them using something called Nisargika, Nisargika Dasha. A lot mm. of them used that. Somewhere it's written that Vimshotri is easier to calculate. Somewhere it's written that Vimshotri works better better for the common person, like okay. that. But here's the thing: as time goes by and you use these dashas, you know Vimshotri definitely works the best out of anything today that I've seen. It's the most popular. But after a while, astrologers get impatient; they want more information. K. N. Rao came to the Vedic Astrology Conference in 1993. It was the end of 1993. I had had my second marriage in early 1993. I had an astrologer friend call me, and he did Western and Vedic, both. Very, very. This astrologer, Richard Hauck, never did a horoscope without rectifying the chart first. And he used moon progressions, lunar progressions. And he would, he would rectify every chart he did. He wouldn't do it if the chart didn't work. He calls me up and he says, you're not getting married. This was in late 92. I was scheduled to be married in 93, January. He says, you're not getting married. I said, what are you talking about? I'm engaged. He says, you're not getting married. There's nothing in the chart. I said, I know. There's nothing in the Hindu. There's nothing in the Western. I know, but I know I'm getting married. So we get married. <laughs> so he was wrong. He laughed. He said, you're yeah. not getting married. I get to 1993, November, December. I talked to K.N. Rao. He's doing the chart. and He's using Jaimini Dasha. He's now into Jaimini, uh, the Jaimini system uses the Chara Dasha, and Chara is the signs, Aries, Libra, Scorpio. So I said to him, look, I got married in January 1993. There's nothing anywhere. He says, yes, yes, it's right there in Jaimini. It's right there. And I thought, ah, he's just saying this, right? But then I learned the Jaimini system. I had gone into the Libra Dasha. So these are signs. 
So if you go into Capricorn, Dasha, in Jaimini, that's going to be Capricorn. We're not talking planets. We're talking Capricorn. It's career. You go into Libra, you're in a relationship, Dasha. The Karakas in the Jaimini system are completely different from the Vimshotri. The planet in the highest degree in your horoscope, the planet in my chart that's highest degree is the sun. It's in 29 degrees Virgo in the Hindu system. Okay. So that becomes the planet representing me. That's called the Atmakarika. If your planet in your highest degree is Jupiter, Jupiter is your Atmakarika, the ruler of you. The planet in the seventh, in the lowest degree becomes the marriage indicator. There's me, there's the other person. So in Libra, in my horoscope sits Mercury, it's in two degrees. So Mercury is the marriage indicator and I'm in a Libra Dasha and I get married. So I, I use this as an example when I teach because when people, you know, they're looking for something in a horoscope and it doesn't show up. Like um, some of these people that have had these huge downfalls because of the Me Too movement, they're suddenly famous people. Suddenly they have this huge downfall. I look at the chart and I don't always find it, right? Mm -hmm. And astrologers think, well, it's got to be there. You're making a mistake. Something's wrong. No, there's, there's lots of different systems. And certain things are going to show up in one system and not in another. And as astrologers, we need to be humble, not arrogant. We need to understand we will not be perfect. And I teach my students, the best thing you can do is to say, I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. I'll tell you what I don't know. Because you can't know it all. Because, And then I'll say, when they say, but I can't find it. I say, well, there's 40 Dasha systems. Maybe there's a reason, you know. Right. So Vimshotri is by far the best. It works the best, uh, but I would rather have a chart that's massively powerful. Like, for example, Werner Erhardt went into a moon dasha, and moon is fallen in his horoscope in the marriage house, and it's with Mars. And, and so uh, when the moon dasha hit, I said, oh, my God, he's going to have 10 terrible years. Well, the moon dasha hit. He got divorced. But the dasha wasn't so bad because he had so many other powerful planets in the chart. So if he was in Moon Dasha uh, Mars Bukti, that might be more powerful, or Moon Dasha Venus, whatever. So I'd rather have a chart with really powerful planets and a few, even if I have a few Dashas that are weak, that's not such a problem if the chart is strong. Sure, that makes sense. Um, so one of the interesting side effects of of the Vimshodri Dasha system, though, being so common is I noticed, for example, in, in 2012, I did a like a meta analysis where I collected as many predictions that I saw primarily from Western astrologers about the 2012 US presidential election. And one of the interesting things was that the Vedic astrologers were often very much on the same page because they had that one thing in common where at the very least most of them were starting with the Vimshodri Dasha technique and that led to a little bit more consistency in their predictions just due to that that uniformity. Than I was seeing in in like some of the Western astrologers, where they were all using like completely different techniques <laughs> and didn't have that like at least one unifying thing where everybody was on the same page that there was this one technique that really worked. Uh, do you? So it's at least I guess my point there is just that um, it's that much of a standard that it's something that you can almost expect like every Vedic astrologer to at least know, even if it's not their their only Dasha system that they use. Um. The thing is, there's a, they talk about in the scriptures that there's a curse that, that Shiva put on astrologers. 
She even got angry at the astrologers, put a curse, and he said, "From now on, you'll astrologers will never agree with each other." So sure. we ha- so we have that too. We have okay. that too. Um, but I mean, all the astrologers I know, they will use the Vimshatri the, the Vimshatri Dasha system, but they'll also use transits. They'll use progressions. I will also look at Western progressions. Western. I mean, I will look at everything I can possibly look at. Mm-hmm. But I've always been that way. I'm a little bit different, you know. Um, most Hindu Vedic astrologers, they treat the scriptures with great awe and they consider them sacred. And I've never been like that because, because the scriptures never, I, I just don't resonate with, with, with um, taking astrology as a religion. Um, also the fact that, that, that you would use these scriptures and when you'd see the interpretive things, they would just be so off the wall. So, so I would use what I could, what I could, but I tend to take whatever works, whatever works, that's what I will use more so than, you know, Parashara says this, or this one says that. So I tend to be, that's why. So when I wrote, uh, you know, I wrote that first book without, with only a few years of experience, then flash forward to 1997 and I was done writing books. I said, I'm not writing books anymore. I was really getting burned out doing, cause I had to do writing the books and then doing readings to make a living. Hmm. My wife got a seven-day Mercury Yagya done for her around 97 or so. And what is that? Uh, so um, a Yagya is where the – this was a seven-day Yagya. So this would, be, um, this would be 10 or 20 priests praying for Mercury in her horoscope for seven days, for eight hours a day. So mm-hmm. she was getting a Mercury Yagya to strengthen her Mercury so that she would have a stronger Mercury for writing and teaching. And her Mercury is a little afflicted because it's near Ketu. So we're married. So the karma gets mixed. So while she's having the Mercury Dasha, I'm suddenly saying, why am I living with with the worst um, entertainment system in the world? My speakers are lousy. My amplifier is lousy. So during the Yagya, I'm suddenly changing all the, all the equipment. It just comes up for me to do that. That's how Yagyas work. Mm-hmm. Now, what I had wanted to do was to write a book that really explained how it really works, not all these rules and regulations, because so many of the things in the scriptures work very mediocre. Some of them, in my opinion, don't work at all. Okay, So I had wanted to write another book, but I was not going to sit down and write a book. It was too stressful. So during the Yagya, a thought comes, hey, I could teach a student and transcribe the sessions. So right. I so I do that. Only in the end, in the end, I wind up at the computer working all the material. So I spent three years at it. What was the title of that book again? That's called the Art and Practice of Ancient Hindu Astrology. Right. I thought that was really great because that's a, such a unique book because it's it's dialogues between you and the student, and that's actually probably much more representative of the transmission of astrology in India on some level in, in most astrological traditions through that student-teacher relationship and the dialogue rather than just the other part, which is more academic and like reading the texts or the scriptures, as you, as you said. What you just said is 100% accurate. That is the way it should be taught. And so when people, so what wound up happening is, yes, we transcribed the sessions, but I just, the way my brain works, I couldn't do that. So I spent three years because I didn't want to write every day. I spent three years. I wrote every question that I imagined a student could ask. 
And my student, of course, asked everything he could ask. And then I tried, and then I answered those as best as I could. So there, so I talk about the different techniques, how they say they work, how they really work. And then I wrote that book, came out. And what happened then was I got, I got all kinds of emails from people saying, I finally can go from being a hobbyist to being a professional. And I had one professional astrologer. He was just in his early years. He'd just become a professional within about a year or two. And he said, when I'm looking at a horoscope and I get confused, he said, I open that book anywhere and read three or four pages. I close it. I know how to approach the chart. Now, flash forward to 2018, I realize I've got to get my books on eBooks. So I spent four months editing the art and practice. And it was really fascinating to, it was really fascinating to see what I had learned. The first time I wrote that book, I'd been practicing for about 15 years. Now it came out in 2000, now it's 2018. And I had learned, there were all kinds of things that I didn't, you know, just take Mercury-Jupiter, a mm. Mercury-Jupiter conjunction. I always considered that I'd be doing readings for people and I'd say, oh, these two planets are conjunct. All four houses that they rule are gonna do really well. And every so often they'd say, no, not, not really. And I would scratch my head. And finally, I just came to do a little research and study. And I found that Mercury too close to Jupiter harms the person's nervous system. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work the way I thought it had worked. So mm -hmm. over the next 15 years, I found all kinds of things that I, that I said, you know, note, here's a change. Right. So part of it's so, like So that. that's going to be on eBooks. So that I just submitted that to Book Baby um, this week, last week. So that that book should be out within the next two weeks. Nice. Uh, on is e that gonna, yeah. so that that's going to be that primary ebook platform, or is it on like all platforms, or where, all, where can people find it? All ebooks, all the ebooks, yeah. Okay, so if they go to like Amazon or something, they'll find Kindle, it. Kindle, this one, that one, all of them. That's what Book Baby does. You pay Book Baby, and they send it to every ebook version out there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, so yeah, so that. I guess that's part of the one of the lessons, and maybe we should almost reorient this because I'm almost now interested more about some of this process that you've gone through and this, like, both your learning as an astrologer as well as some of the things that you learned from your teachers and how you adapted that. Um, but you, um, I guess, one of the the lessons there, the underlying points, is that nobody ever reaches a point where they've learned everything there is to learn about astrology in one lifetime. But your views as an astrologer are always growing and changing, uh, in some sense, based on your experience with clients. Because every new client that you see is going to represent a unique chart and a unique set of experiences that are going to teach you something new about astrology and the world in general. The worst statements that I hear people will say, "This astrologer said this," or "This astrologer said that," and when you hear the crazy statements that are made, you know exactly why they say them because they can't find the real answer and they think they have to say something. So they make up mm. something stupid. It happens all the time. I don't do that. I say, I don't know. That's not my forte. Go to this person, go to that. And you, you, you just, you, you, you have to be able to do that. It's, it's, it's so important. Um, you just can't know everything. And I remember um, there, there was this one, uh, I was in, I was in Agra visiting the Taj Mahal and I went to visit, uh, you know, I was always asking, where's the astrologers? So I found this astrologer. He didn't speak English. This guy must have been 80, 80, 85. He was really old. 
And I sat there waiting for my turn. He kept me as last because I was a Westerner. And I asked my question. He did my horoscope a little bit. And I said, ask him if he'll teach me astrology. And this man got the most pained. The, the look on his face was such pain that I said, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Because in the Hindu system, it, I mean, it just goes on and on, and there's technique after technique after technique, and dasha system after dasha. There's no end to it. There's no end to it. Right. So his reaction was like, <laughs> teach me about like every star, the name of every star that you see in the sky, and there's like innumerable, innumerable stars. That's basically analogy for what you asked him at that point. <laughs> exactly it. And I felt so okay. bad. I said, I said, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> And when was that? Was that your first trip or your second trip? That was the trip? first trip. The okay, so this is still at the very beginning. Yeah, right? yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so you um so in going back to you had that um student teacher dialogue and it took you three years to write that book. Um what are some of the pieces? Because I'm trying to understand, it seems like you've had a very visceral experience of the difference between what the texts say versus the things that one learns in practice. Um, and that's an interesting thing because I was just talking with a student of mine yesterday who we were talking about the delineations in the ancient Western texts, and they're also very extreme like that, where they'll tend to give the most extreme scenario, but they they give it in isolation. And in reality, no, no placement is hardly ever operating in isolation, but instead there's always mitigating conditions that are happening to any placement that you're looking at, right? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I'm I'm talking about stuff that is more basic than that. Okay, so um, I'll just tell you some things that you know. Simply, uh, certain things you just have to understand in context. Like, for example, the scriptures will all say that you have to take the transits from the moon. You have to look at the transits. Oh, Jupiter's transiting the fourth house from the moon. The person's going to get a home, right? The scriptures keep saying this. So the astrologers think they're not supposed to take it from, from the ascendant. Okay. You have to take it from the ascendant first and then secondarily from the moon because everybody born on the same day is going to have the same exact transits. The same transits from the moon if you just yeah. take it from the moon. Yeah, yeah. So you have to use both. But here's another. For example, in Hindu Vedic um I'll, I'll take the Varga charts. This is so essential and basic, okay? So when I was doing this, I was doing my charts, and I was so the Varga charts means there's the natal chart, then there's the Navamsha, the chart for marriage, then there's the Dasamsha, the chart for career, then there's about twenty more. I only use the career and the marriage ones, okay? So these are all these are divisional charts where you. Yes subdivide the signs of the zodiac into smaller portions but then which which some western astrologers know like the harmonics harmonics or or 12th parts or um i forget what they're called like dwada shamshas yeah. i guess in Is isabel hickey she called them dwads wow um you guys call them as westerners we call them harmonic charts okay okay um and and the idea there though in the indian tradition that's kind of unique and interesting uh is that you will find out what sign the ascendant is in and then that sign becomes the first house in the divisional right. chart and it creates a whole separate chart right. for just that subdivision and the planets are in different houses too 
different signs. Right. Different signs. Right. Okay. So it literally constructs an entirely different whole sign house chart right. based on right. those subdivisions. Right. Now, okay. first of all, first of all, you've got when it comes to the divisional charts, the career and the marriage, they change every 15, 17 minutes, approximate. Okay. So where you are in the change, you know, if if the Navamsha chart has a, a, a cancer ascendant between 540 and 555, and you're reading the chart and the kids, the person's born at 556, you need to know that that's a suspect. You might not be able to use it. You need to know that. Okay. Right. So the, the subdivisional charts change so frequently right. that you have to have an exact time. And, and what do you do in that instance? Do you rectify if there's uncertainty? How do you um, feel about rectification as an astrologer? Some astrologers are like, rectify everything, and others are like, no, just take the chart as you have it because you may not understand it properly if you just try to mess with it. Well, if the chart is on the hour or the half hour, I don't trust it, particularly sure. if it's from another country. But I'm not worried. When I start to worry is when the natal chart, the natal chart ascendant in the Hindu Vedic is 29 or yeah. zero or one. That's when I, I have to, I have to ask questions and rectify it. But You've when got it to rectify it on the fly right at the start. No, no. Before I do a reading. Oh, before the consultation. When I do, so this when, is before. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I've been I've been doing this forty years, and I really don't like the idea of astrologers to you know. I mean, you get really good, right? But you don't. I just don't believe you take a chart and say, "Okay, I'm gonna do it right now." I just don't believe. It. I mean, okay. you want a good you want a good reading. You need to right. do the chart. You need to meditate on it a little bit. I mean, what kind of questions then do you ask if you're doing that in pre pre consultation, like prep work? What kind of questions do you ask to get that right or narrow that down? Is that standardized or is it based on the chart? I take the worst house of the chart. Mm, it's nice. either yeah, going to okay. be the fourth or the fifth, the ninth or the tenth, and I'll say, "Do you have a terrible career, or do you have ter terrible times with gurus, or okay. the best house of the chart?" Now, sometimes you can't do this. The charts are so mixed and mediocre, you can't do it. But most of the time, somebody's got one house that's fantastic, one planet that's fantastic. It's either right. willing this. That's how I do it. But I'll yeah, also no, that makes sense. So you you look for the extremes. Right. Of where should like the most difficult parts of their life be, and identify those, and ask if that is indeed the case. And if it comes back yes, then that helps to confirm it. But if it comes back that it's the other house that they're actually experiencing as the worst, then right. that confirms the other. Assignment. Right. But then I'll also say now Jupiter's been transiting this house for a year. Did you have some luck in this and some bad luck in right. that? Like that, yeah. That's so funny. That's a that's totally the rectification approach that I've developed using whole sign it's houses in the Western system. Yeah, because it's just once you're using those techniques, there's certain straightforward things that you're going to gravitate towards towards doing. Robert De Niro is in a great Dasha Bukti. He's in Mercury Venus. Uh, no, uh, he's in Venus Mercury. Now, when he was in Mercury Venus, he won his first Oscar. Okay, uh, no, sorry, mm -hmm. Mercury Venus was Raging Bull. His first Oscar was won because he was in his 32nd year of life. His ascendant ruler is Mercury. Mercury's conjunct Venus in the third house, which is the arts in Hindu. So mm -hmm. he hit 31, 32. He won the first Oscar. Then he hit a Mercury Venus Dasha Bhukti, won his second Oscar. And he's in he's in Venus Mercury now, which you know, you'd think would be pretty good. Two benefics in the third house. Saturn's transiting his seventh house and he's getting divorced. He's having okay. massive problems right now. But anyway. Um, so, so I will rectify the chart that way. Now, when it comes to the divisional charts, the way I'll do that, once I've got the natal chart, I'll just say, look, if you were born from 530 to 545, 
the Navamsha indicates getting a marriage partner who's very wealthy or who's very powerful. If you're born, you know, from this other time, then the partner is probably uh, doing medicine. It's just, it just depends on how, how that works and you do, mm-hmm. you do as best you can. But for example, with the, with the divisional charts, I come home, I'm using astrology. And as the years are going by, I am finding that when I do the marriage chart, looking at the entire chart, all the planets and all the houses, it's not giving me the marriage partner very well. When I'm looking at the career chart, like I'm looking at the career chart and the sixth house may be loaded with planets and look really strong and I'm thinking medicine and it doesn't work. So as the years go by, I say, this doesn't work. So I begin to simplify it and I say, I'm going to look at the marriage chart. I'm going to look just at the seventh house. Okay. What planets are in the seventh house? If there's a planet in the seventh house, what does it rule? If the ninth ruler is in the seventh house, they're going to get a partner from a foreign country. Sure. Or a partner that's religious. If the ruler of the third house, which is the arts, is in the house of career, they're either going to do mechanical, technical, computers, career, or the arts. So the rulerships. Then where's the ruler of the seventh house? If the ruler of the seventh house is in the second, they might be involved in making money or education. So this works really well. So for the marriage chart, I just use the seventh house and 30% I'll use the first house. The first house is just so so critical, right. but only 30%. The seventh house is going to tell me the most. If I'm looking at the dasamsha, the career, I'm looking mainly at the career house and a little bit at the first, and that's it. That works. Okay. And the, the marriage chart is that the seventh Seven. uh, harmonic it's the divisional ninth. chart. It's the navamsha. It's the ninth. The navamsha. Okay. But it's the, yeah. Okay. But now let's take something a little more serious, or a little more not serious, but essential. In the Hindu system, there's something there's something called vargotama or vargotama, however you pronounce it. Vargotama. Okay. Yeah. This means, let's say that you have Jupiter in Leo in the natal chart. And you have Jupiter and Leo in the Navamsha. Out of right. all the divisional charts, out of all the Navamsha, the Dasamsha, the Saptamsha, the Dwadasamsha, the Navamsha is considered the most important divisional chart. Right. So they say in the text, if a planet is in, in the same sign in the natal and the Navamsha, then that planet acts like it's in its own sign. Okay. So if Jupiter's in Leo in both charts, it's supposed to function like it's in Sagittarius or Pisces. Mm. This did not work. This did not work. This did not work. This did not work. And finally, I said, this doesn't work. Now, when I say that something doesn't work, there's so many things. I also don't find solar return charts to work in my Western solar returns. When mm. I went to India, when, first, when I saw Robert Hand, I said, do solar returns work? And he says, try it this way, try it that way, try it this way, try it that way. I said, yeah, okay, I got it. Then I go to India and I say to my teacher, I say, what do you think of solar returns? He goes, they are useless and baseless. <laughs> now you may use, a, I, look, I know yeah, I get people love them. For me, they are useless. Okay. Yeah, I'm not crazy so, about solar returns myself. Yeah. Some people love them. So if it doesn't work, I don't use it. So I mean, solar returns actually exist in like mainstream Parashara type Vedic astrology, no, or is it only no, no. in the it's called medieval? Varshapal. It's called Varshapal. It's been brought okay. in by the Greeks. You have to remember, right. the, the reason I called my book Ancient Hindu Astrology and not Vedic, mm-hmm. I don't believe that this is truly Vedic. I believe it's because you have Kendra, Trikona, Adipati, 
You have right. Kendrick, Chakona, Var, uh, Upachaya. You have all these Greek names. A bunch of means, Greek terms in, in right. Sanskrit texts. And if you get a good if you get a good astrologer over there, they don't care what they use. They care what works. So if right. people bring in techniques that work, they will use them. Okay. Yeah, I mean that was a point that Dennis Harness made to me once that he thought like Indians were very practical and like they would 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 yes. just integrate what works because yes. that was ultimately what mattered. And while there's some sort of philosophical and like political and and sort of pushback um, in modern times to say that almost in a like religious context that Vedic astrology is like ten thousand years old or something that that's almost like a a more recent development that's based on you know, reaction to colonialism when in past history it's clear that in India, like they've been much more practical about just integrating whatever works from different traditions and whatever and works. Not. Yeah. Sure. Um so was that that's actually an interesting point that Vedic astrology is almost like a recent term that somebody came up with in the past like thirty years or something, right? Is that true? I heard something oh, no, about that. No. Well the well, I mean it was there was Vedic astrology. I believe that the true Vedic astrology, they were using nakshatras more than right. anything. Now, yeah. Now, this is a this is important. So, when I got to India, both teachers, when I asked about nakshatras, they said that's an entire system on its own. Hmm. And they don't have that knowledge. It has been lost unless it's been passed down orally. It has been lost. Mm-hmm. The 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 way nakshatras are used today, in my opinion, is very similar to Dane Rudyard Western astrology. Dane Rudyard didn't speak English, he was French. And so when you read his books, they don't have a noun and a verb put together properly. And so after about three or four years, when I was studying Western, I, I finally took the Dane Rudger books. I had to throw them out of the house because I kept going and looking, you know, oh, houses. I, I need to know what this house means. And I'd read it and it was, it was garbage. You, you, could, you could make anything you wanted out of it. Sure. He's very wordy and very verbose, especially in his so, early works. So with the so with the current now the the thing is I know people that they say I learned from him that's how I learned astrology so I don't want to right. knock him but yeah. for me it's useless the nakshatras the way nakshatras are used today sounds to me behavioral and psychological you could take the nakshatras today you could take any nakshatra pick one get five or six people read it to them and say this is your nakshatra how does it sound and they're going to say seventy percent are going to say yeah that's me because mm-hmm. they don't say you're going to get married at this age. You're going to marry a doctor. They don't say that. They don't say your career is going to be that. They don't say that. It's it's like Dane Rudger stuff. It's like, so I don't like that. However, however, as I said, I only use what works. So as I'm in my career, the first three or four years, I'm finding people with Jupiter in Cancer and Moon in Cancer, and I say, oh, this is a great Dasha, and they start telling me how bad it is. What the hell is going on? Finally, at some point, I was talking with Dennis Harness, and I said, Dennis, tell me what the five best and five worst nakshatras are. Mm-hmm. He tells me the worst ones, and Vishaka and Aslesha are two of those really rough ones. Turns out that the people that had moon in, in cancer in the nakshatra, the lunar mansion, so nakshatras are lunar mansions. They are um, about 13 degrees each. And there's a nakshatra called Aslesha, which is, I think it's around 20 degrees uh, something like 20 degrees cancer to three Leo, somewhere around there. So it's, it's in late cancer. So when a person has the moon in cancer in its own sign, you'd think it's going to be a great dasha and a, and a great natal planet, and it's not. Same thing with, I've seen people with the, the most difficult nakshatra is Vishaka. This is from 20 degrees Libra to around three degrees 
Scorpio. Now, remember, I'm talking in the sidereal zodiac, not right. So I've seen people, believe it or not, with Mars in Scorpio, but it's in the first three degrees of Scorpio. So it's in that nakshatra, Vishaka, mm-hmm. and Mars doesn't function well in, it, in its own sign. Because so, so with this, with this, um, with the business of the Varga charts, I only use them the way they work when it comes to that, um, um, uh, you know, Vargo, Vargotama, Vargotama, it doesn't work. So I don't use it. But what I was going to say, I forgot to say this. Whenever I find something that doesn't work, that they say works, I -hmm. go back five years later, six years later, I say, maybe I was wrong. So I go back and I start studying it again. Sure. You know, because sometimes, you know, you have to do that. You can't be arrogant with this. Have you had instances like that where you found something that didn't work initially, but you went back later and tried it again from a different perspective and you were able to get it to work or gain a better appreciation of it? There's been a little bit of that, but I, but nothing comes to nothing comes to mind. But if I were to research, there has been some, but they not the major stuff, not mm-hmm. the nakshatras, not uh, another one is Nichabunga Raja Yoga, Nichabunga. So if a planet has fallen, you take take for for instance um, Al Gore. He has Mars and Cancer in the first house fallen right next to Saturn, and he hit a Dasha Bukti. Believe it or not, now this is we're talking Mars and Saturn in Cancer. Cancer. And what is this yoga? It's like the opposite of a Raj yoga. Oh well, I don't know what yoga it would be called, but. But this is two afflicted planets. Saturn in Cancer is bad. Mars okay. and okay, so, so it's it like Mars in its uh, quote unquote fall and Saturn in its right. uh, detriment. It wouldn't matter if Saturn was in a good how a sign. Mars picking up the energy of Saturn is going to hurt because Saturn's okay. a malefic. But this is really bad because Mars has fallen. Saturn's right next to it. Now, it's in his first house. Mars rules the tenth. It rules the fifth. And it's in the first. So you got three possibilities. Career downfall, an accident for himself because it's in the first house, or an accident for a child. So he comes out of a baseball game or a football game in, uh, it was 1989. It was in April 1989. The Mars-Saturn was between May 88 and June 89. This was April 89. He's in Mars-Saturn. He walks outside the, the the football game or baseball game, and he see he sees his son get hit by a car and go flying thirty feet. Wow! Yeah, kid, the son he lived okay, but that's so that's Mars is Nietzsche. Mars is fallen, mm-hmm. so it's in a, it's in the worst sign possible. Now Nietzsche Bunga Raja Yoga means you have a fallen planet, but the fallen negative energy is canceled out. Nichabunga, it's canceled out and becomes a Raja Yoga. So now not only is it bad, but it becomes fantastic, right? Mm. So after two or three years of finding clients who have a fallen planet, but it's got Nichabunga, and there's like four or five different ways that a planet, if a planet's fallen, but it's with an exalted planet, like uh, Al Pacino has um, Saturn in Aries fallen, but he's got an exalted planet, the sun in Aries. In the tenth house, so that's supposed to cancel out the fall of Saturn, right? Hmm. But there's all kinds of ways. The ruler of the house is angular. There's all so I would see these Nichabungas, and in the beginning I'd say, "But this is probably going to be good," mm-hmm. and you would just go wrong. So after a number of years, and I would go back every five years, 
I just, because here's the thing. Nietzsche Bunga Raja Yoga will work 20% of the time. Hmm. 20 percent of the time means it doesn't work at all because astrology is the i tell my clients right from the start a really good reading is probably about 75 percent accurate so mm-hmm. anything that works 25 percent of the time it's useless what are you going to do with it now sure. okay now here's the thing though occasionally i will see a fallen planet and i will see that person have fantastic results from it not any bad results. Again, it's 20%. only happens 20% of the time, and it's mostly in the cases of very famous people. So, you know, Nietzsche Bunga works. And if you're psychic, and, and I have to say, I have to acknowledge this. When I was in India, there were too many times, too many times, when either one of the teachers would say something, and I'd say, where? see, I brought these horoscopes with me both times and we'd I'd put them in front and they would say something and be really accurate. And then I'd say, where are you getting that from? Most of the times there'd be a good answer. Sometimes there was an answer that was just ridiculous. And I said, this is just psychic. And this brings up the yogas. The yogas, they have hundreds and hundreds of yogas where you memorize, yoga means union. So I'll give you a yoga. Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth. So Lakshmi yoga means the planetary union that gives wealth in the horoscope. So wealth no- normally comes from a good second house, money, and a good 11th house, which is house of large gains of money. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where you see the billionaires and the multimillionaires is having the ruler of the 11th and the second, and the ruler of the second and the 11th, they, like that, or really strong second and 11th. Those are the ones that become wealthy. So Lakshmi Yoga, here's one for you. If there is a planet in the second, sixth, eighth, and twelfth house, if there is a planet in the second, sixth, eighth, and twelfth house, the person has Lakshmi Yoga. There's no logic to this. The eighth house is a bad house. The twelfth house is a bad house. The second house is a money house, so okay. The sixth is bad, the eighth is bad, the twelfth. Now I've seen people. I knew someone from college. Her horoscope is not good, particularly for money. And there's Lakshmi Yoga. She's got a planet in the second, the sixth, the eighth, and the twelfth, and she's wealthy. And and so it's it's supposed to be, it's specifically in the text supposed to indicate wealth or what? Because Lakshmi is like goddess of like knowledge or something, right? No, Lakshmi is wealth. Saraswati okay. would be not Saraswati. Worth. Okay, yeah. yeah, sorry. So 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 this is one where it gives wealth. But here's the problem. You'll find three or four charts where the person has, has Lakshmi Yoga and they're not wealthy. So, sure. so what I think happens, what I think happens, and I cannot, I cannot emphasize this enough. In India, they are massively psychic. Now, I get lots of charts from Indians. I do a lot of YouTube interviews in India, Indian uh, podcasts, and I simply I start looking at the chart. I'm not even talking to them, and I'm seeing how psychic they are. I see it from the moon conjunct Ketu, the south node. You just see it. You see the eighth, the eighth house is the intuition, and Ketu is intuition, and you just they're just massively psychic. So I think what happens is the Indian astrologer memorizes the yogas, and, but he, but they also memorize. They learn in order to do this system the the best. You have to learn what every house really and truly means. You can't mix and match. The second right. house is food that you eat. 
but the appetite is the sixth house. You can't mix and match. You got to know exactly what they mean. The ninth house is religion and philosophy, but the twelfth house is moksha or enlightenment. Sure. So you so have to know it. very clear distinctions very between clear. houses allows yes. you to make more precise statements. Bingo. And so if you memorize how everything works, then you also have the yogas. But the yogas, you have to use them when they when they pop in. I think the yoga pops into your mind when it's applicable. So if somebody has Lakshmi yoga, but it's not working, they don't mention it. But if somebody's got it and it is working, they just intuitively pick it up. They are massively psychic. Sure. That's been my experience. Um, so one question I wanted to ask you, if you could do it all over again in terms of your early studies where you went out and studied with two teachers specifically, and then you started writing books pretty quickly, and then you've had your, the rest of your career since then, if you were a young astrologer starting out today, how would you do things differently if you were starting from scratch right now, knowing what you know about Indian astrology? Um, well, first of all, I'm thrilled I'm the luckiest astrologer alive to have started with Western and gotten a good basis in that. So you think that was actually positive? Because some people feel like they have to unlearn everything they learn from Western in order to rebuild their understanding with a different approach, but you think that actually was helpful to you in some way? Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> it, was, it made learning the Indian astrology so easy. I already knew what the planets right. meant. I already had an idea what the houses meant. I just keep them separate. You know, I play guitar. Now, when I started playing guitar, I remember I could barely do the, the chords, right? And then I had to strum while worrying about the fingers. And then I had to finger pick while I'm doing this. How do you do that? I don't know. Um, but I mean, I guess because, have... like, like the, for example, the aspects, the special aspects are different, or even like the house significations in like modern Western astrology versus Indian astrology are very different in some instances, right? Very few. Very few. Not a lot. The third not a lot house of differences the, or not no, a lot of similarities. There's not a lot of differences. It's mostly the same, except the third house is the arts instead of the fifth. The fifth house is the mind instead of the third. Education is the second instead of the third. The heart is the fourth house, um, and, and the um, the heart is the fourth house, and the the stomach is the fifth. There's a there's some differences, but career is the tenth. The second is money. The sixth is health. It's not that different. Sure. So no. So first of all, I, in fact, when I, you know, when people used to ask me what to do, I used to say, look, you are in the Western culture. Learn Western astrology, for God's sake. You're in the Western culture. And then when you've gotten a certain amount and you want to learn the other, I would say, go learn the other. But let me just, let me just say something. I have very, I'm probably the most opinionated astrologer. I use what works only and I have very strong opinions. I'm wrong like anybody else. So you have to find your own way. You know, you have to find your own way. This is how mm -hmm. I do it. I think it's, a, it's just a, so, I'm so lucky to know both systems. I, the thing is, after a while, like I look at a horoscope and I'll see a Saturn square to a planet that's square in the Western system, but not square in the Hindu, right? So, but I know what that square means. So I don't even need to go to the Western system and say, "Oh, you got Saturn square the Sun." Saturn's not aspect. Saturn's not aspecting the Sun in the Hindu, but I know it's perfectly square in the Western. So I can start talking about that. I don't say it's coming from the Hindu, but I say, "Look, you got problems with your father, and you got restriction problems." If they want to know where it's coming from, I'll tell them. Well, it's a Western square. But um, um, the the other thing is the one thing that I that I I kind of wish. 
was that I could have studied with more people. Um, if somebody's going to go to India, this is what I tell them. I tell them, go to each different astrologer. When you find an astrologer that's good and you resonate with them, you study with them. You mm. learn you learn what you can get from them, and then you move on and find someone else. And and like 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 one of the things, I'd be with the Hindu astrologers, you know, over there. And if they said something that didn't work, that didn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. I would just I'd say, okay, and I would just disregard it. I would argue it a little bit. I'd say, wait, that's not and if they just stuck to their guns, I'd say, okay, and I would move on. I would not challenge them. I would not, you know, I would just say that doesn't work for me. So you don't feel a particular like attachment to a specific like lineage or, or school necessarily, but instead you you feel like it's important to maybe take some of the best pieces that you can take from each different approach that you're exposed to. Yeah, I wouldn't. My books would not be what they what they are if I just listened to what they taught me. I did listen to what they thought. Now the, I'm going to be getting ancient Hindu astrology for the modern Western astrologer. My first book on eBooks. I'm going to completely redo the planets and houses. Why? Because I I I wanted to keep it traditional. So, for example, the sun in the second house. Oh, this is bad for money because it's a malefic. It's bad for the right eye because the second house is the right eye and the sun is a malefic. They don't mention that the sun is the indicator of the soul. So money and education, which is the second house in Hindu, is going to be so important. They don't mention that. It's it's common sense. So they're just so when they're teaching it, they're just teaching stuff that you need to know that you wouldn't otherwise know. So if hmm. you read, so so when I redo the planets and houses, it's going to be much more accurate. It'll say yes, it's a malefic, so it may harm the second house, but wherever the sun is, that's a soul connection. So I would say, but see now, that's me. There are people that love the scriptures, that worship the scriptures. And, you know, it's so important to understand that the world is huge and there's space for everybody. There's space for every approach. And, you know, you may get the information. Look, there's the Ayanamsha, okay? I use the Lahiri Ayanamsha. That's the the um, the calculation that gets you from the Western planets to the sidereal, from the tropical to the sidereal. There's going to be people using different ayanamshas. And to me, I know from my experience that what works is Lahiri and what works is Krishnamurti. They're very close together. But some astrologers are going to use B.V. Raman. Some are going to use Fagan Bradley. Some are going to use Shilpan. Some of these will take the dashas and completely they'll, they'll make the dashas four years later. And they'll make the chart completely different. So you have to make room for people that use it. All that matters is that when you get a client that you can be accurate and that you can say, I can't answer that question. It's not clear in the chart. I don't know. That's You tell them what you know and be happy with that. Yeah, uh, that seems like something sometimes people are un- very uncomfortable with and I'm glad you brought that up at the beginning. I think I was like raising tried to raise a similar point in the, the last episode about especially even when it comes to a specific technique how sometimes there can be parts of a technique that you feel really solid and you've seen over and over and over again and maybe there's other parts where there could be something there but maybe you just haven't fully researched it out yet and sometimes it's okay just to say you know, I haven't looked into that very much, or I haven't looked into that technique very much, and there might be something to it, but it's not 
part of my what I feel like is my solid area of, of knowledge at this stage in my career? Yeah, I, look, you know, there is. I'm the classic one because you know I would worry. I mean, when I started doing charts, I would spend three days on them. I mean, I right. Um, you have to understand. There's so much simple information that you're going to give to a client that they would never know, that you right. know for sure. So right. don't worry about the stuff that you don't know. And as time goes by, you'll figure that out. Yeah. So focus on the things that you do that you do know and you do feel solid with. And right. imparting imparting that to the client is going to give them useful information that they wouldn't have otherwise. And if there's something that even they're wanting or asking you, it's okay just to say. You know, that's not something I, I feel like I can answer or that I feel comfortable going into. It's it's even better than that. When you tell the client what you do know and what you don't know, it is such it it it's so freeing. If you say, Look, I couldn't answer that question for you. When I get I get I get these charts, everybody gets them. But in the Hindu system, this is really a complication because you're not because you're trying to make predictions. You get these charts that are as complicated. You get four planets in Cancer all being squared by Saturn. I mean, you get these charts that are just massively complicated, right? Mm -hmm. I start out the reading. I start out the reading and I say, I've been doing this for 40 years. Your chart's in the top 2% of being difficult to interpret. I'm going to tell you what I do know, and I'm going to tell you each little specific part. So... So the sun is in Cancer, one degree away from Jupiter, and Jupiter's exalted in Cancer. So the sun is fantastic. It's conjunct exalted Jupiter. And then Saturn is throwing this horrible aspect on that sun. Mm -hmm. And I'll say what that means. One part of it makes the sun fantastic. The other makes it terrible. And I say to them, you, you will interpret how that works. And what, what it usually means is they're frustrated. They feel the potential, but they can't make it happen. But I tell them I'm going to describe what each planet is doing as best as I can, and you have to put it in context. I also tell people, you know, if it's a first time reading, I say, look, it's 75% accurate. If it's a good reading and the chart's pretty easy to read, I say, you take what you resonate with and you discard the rest. But the best thing is to tell them what you don't know because it's just, I'm telling you, it's, it's freeing for you. It lets them know. And I'll say to them, you may go to somebody else and they may be able to answer that question for you. I, I, I also find that I'm just talking about confusing charts and stuff, but most of the time, um, like sometimes I'll just see a chart that's really confusing and I'll just say what they need is going to show up in the reading. And it usually shows up, right? But you can't say that you can't say that in the early days because you really need to know what you're doing. But once you know what you're doing and you're pretty good at this, the the, the information that they need will, will it'll just it'll unfold. They'll tell you what's happening in their life, and suddenly it's oh, okay. Now I know what that planet is doing. You know, right? Yeah. That makes sense. And and there's some interpretive principle there that you're mentioning, and it came up a couple of times here, which is. I was curious how you approach that, which is sometimes when people see a combination of planets, they try to combine it or, or a yoga or something, and they try to come up with a combined delineation, like the one you were mentioning with the Sun conjunct Jupiter and Saturn squaring it, where they try to 
explain what all of that means as like a composite delineation, whereas other times I hear people say that what will happen is that you'll get both, that you'll get the extremely positive thing, but you'll also get the extremely negative thing. I mean, do you, is there one direction that you go more than the other with that? In my book, uh, I call it. In my book, I call it a wild card where you don't know what's going to happen. But after a while, you start to do know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like the frustration. Like you, you'll, you'll. I mean, that's just a frustrating aspect. They've got all this potential for the sun, but it's frustrated. That'll usually be the most accurate sort of thing. Um, right. They're going to say they. There was another if, one you if, delineated if, earlier. If, if I'm doing a chart, if I'm doing a chart and I see Saturn within three or four degrees of the ascendant, or in Hindu Vedic, all planets aspect their opposite house. So if mm-hmm. I find Saturn in the in the seventh house aspecting the ascendant within three or four degrees, or on the ascendant within three or four degrees, or Saturn conjunct the sun, the moon, or the ascendant ruler. Saturn conjunct the sun, the ascendant ruler or the moon. If I see that, I start the reading this way, and this is coming from experience. I start the reading this way. I say, look, I'm going to be telling you all about your chart. There's a lot of high points. There's a lot of weak points, just like anybody else. But Saturn is very prominent. And so to the extent that you handle Saturn, I'll actually describe Saturn first. I try not to scare them right? You don't want to scare people with negative stuff. But I say, look, you are dealing with a self-restrictive element. And they know that, right? So there's a party that holds back, that feels restrictive, lack of confidence. We know that. That's there. You've also got good stuff. So I'm going to be talking about a lot of good stuff. I see a lot of good stuff in your chart. And I'm going to talk about those. But if you Mm -hmm. don't have those things going on, it is probably because of handling that one particular aspect. Now I came to this I came to this method of doing it this way because the way I do astrology I don't I like to be objective. I want I want the person to get a good hit of an objective viewpoint of their life. I don't want them telling me about their life. I want to tell them so because if I get a chart and I say wow you should be a writer. This is a great chart for writing. And they've always mm-hmm. wanted to be a writer but they haven't done it. That has a huge impact. So I'd rather tell them objectively. So that's how I do it. Nobody else has to do it that way, but I prefer that. So I would do these charts and I'd say, there's a fantastic career here. Wow, this is you, you, you fame, recognition, etc." And I'd hear dead silence on the other end. And I'd get to the end of the reading and I would find that the person has just held themselves, held themselves back massively. Some people don't hold themselves back massively. They get that success even with a lack of confidence. So I will tell them I'm going to be talking about this stuff because otherwise they start to feel bad. They start to feel guilty. They don't know why they didn't achieve anything. Now, there's one other thing I want to mention while I'm on this. This is really fascinating. The spiritual techniques, there's three paths of enlightenment. There's Mercury, which is Lord Vishnu, evolution through the mind and the truth. There's Jupiter, evolution through prayer and devotion, the Hare Krishnas. And there's Saturn, which is Lord Shiva, evolution through meditation, austerity, fasting, etc. So Saturn with the sun and with the ascendant and with the moon, they'll be great at meditating and austerity. But their lives will be restricted. Jupiter with the ascendant ruler, sun or moon, they'll be devotional. 
Mercury, there'll be the truth will set them free, Advaita, non-duality. But you do get those confusing horoscopes all the time, and and that's how I deal with them. Okay, brilliant. Um, well, I think we've come to the end of our time here. Uh, sadly, that actually went by super fast. Um, so I wanted to ask you, where can people find out more information? You have a, a website, right? And that's probably the primary place. Yeah. I, now the thing is, my website is I, I'm not computer. I'm not good with computers. So I, I I've got some articles on there. There's some YouTube's or. If they want to hear YouTube, if they just go to YouTube and they put in James Braha Astrology, they'll see that. Um, Ancient Hindu Astrology for the Modern Western Astrologer is the simplest book to get the basics. But what I tell people now is I tell them, don't study that book for months on end. Study that book till you get the basics, okay? And then move to the art and practice of Ancient Hindu Astrology, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the dialogue text. However, one of the things, about three or four years ago, an Indian astrologer contacted me, and he wanted to do the art and practice in India. My books sell in India, but he wanted to make an Indian edition of the art and practice. And he said, I want to do it in two volumes, two parts. And I said, why do you want to do it in two parts? I couldn't figure that out. Boy, when I went to edit this book and to update it and revise it, Mm-hmm. There's too much information for the mind to grasp. I have always told people that book is loaded, loaded with information that is not textbook information. It's experiential. If you, you know, when I read Isabel Hickey's book, I'll never forget this. I read her book and I said, I just want to study this one book. If I could know everything in this book, it would, that would be everything. Right. Right. Um, so I would tell them, read Art and Practice of Ancient Hindu Astrology and read it to the end and then just go back and read it again, read it again. But in editing the book, what I've come across is that there is so much useful, practical information if they would take a 10-page section at a time and read the 10-page section over again till they get everything there. Then the next 10, because there is so much information there, it's just jam-packed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I but mean. I would say the ancient Hindu is good and to get the basics and um you know. Cool. And and oh, so you're releasing- I'm also gonna I'm also gonna be speaking at the Vedic Astrology Conference. I don't normally go to those conferences um because it's a loss of money. I don't like traveling, I hate worrying about it, I tend to worry about what I'm gonna teach. But right. this lady went to the conference this year. Are you talking about Harness's conference? Yes. I haven't been to a, I haven't been there in 10, 15 years. And this lady wrote me this email. She said, I just came away from the conference. So many people want to hear you speaking. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I know that. And then she says to me, I got in a car with an Uber driver and the Uber driver said, I'm not going to those conferences until James Braha goes. (laughs) And I heard this and I said, forget, I forget that I don't like flying. Forget that I hate working on the conference. I'm going. (laughs) I just, it just hit me. It hit me like when, like when I did the chart and the, and, and the guy said, that's when I tried to commit suicide. I couldn't live with that. I had to go back to, next day I was on my way back to India. That just really struck me. So now I'm going back and the title of the lecture that I'm giving is what I've learned over 40 years. The stuff that I learned that I, you know, that, that you don't get in the books and that's what I'm going to talk about. Brilliant. Yeah, I heard that yeah. was a really great conference. So that's the it's called the Sedona Vedic Astrology Conference. And you can people can find out more information about that at SedonaVedicAstrology.com, I believe. 
Uh, do, do you know what the URL of your website is again? Uh, mine is jamesbraha.com. Okay, brilliant. That's easy yeah. easy to remember. Uh, and I'll put. Wait, a... I want to tell us. Can I have five minutes? Yeah. Uh, to, I just want to tell a story. Um, this is a British astrologer, um, Andrew Mason. He's he's written he's written a lot. He's written on Ayurveda, and he just wrote a a, a Jyotish book. And he's really he's very different than me. He's very historical. He's very into the the history of it. But he's got a lot of knowledge. But I was talking to him the other day about about the dashas. I said, look, I. You know, tell me a little bit about what you know about dashas and the chala dasha and yogini dasha. And he says, I love using yogi. I, I use vimshotri and I also use jaimini, but I only use jaimini. That's the one that predicted my second marriage. I only use that when I'm doing an update because I have enough information to keep me an hour and a half doing a natal reading and the vimshotri dasha. But if I'm doing an update, I'll include the, the, the uh, jaimini. But Andrew said, I love using Yogini because I love the story. I said, what's the story? You know, the story is that that uh, uh, Parvati was asking Shiva, her husband, uh, tell me about astrology. So he says, well, I could tell you about astrology, but you can't, you can't, you, you know, I'd have to kill you after this. Uh, in other words, you can't teach it. You can't speak about it. So he goes into the sky, makes himself into the big Yogini Dasha, and um and she says, oh, my God, you can see everything that's going to happen in a person's life, which, of course, is an exaggeration. Um, but she says, this is fantastic. Can we tell the humans to save them from the suffering? He says, no, why not? Because they need to learn their lessons. They won't learn the lessons if they're warned about everything. Hmm. So she's promised not to tell the Yogini Dasha. But we have um, Ganesh. There's Ganesh in the background, the, the elephant, you know, the the human body with the elephant head is Lord Ganesh and mm. Ganesh has got these huge ears and Ganesh was listening. So Ganesh heard everything about Yogini Dasha and he didn't promise not to tell. So, so, so that's why we have Yogini Dasha and that's a Dasha where the sun is one sun is something like one year and then the planets for two years, then a planets for three years. The Dashas can be really bizarre in mm. the Chara Dasha system. You could have a dasha for two years, and then you could have a 12-year dasha. It's just a very – so there's all these different systems. It's very fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting just the distinction sometimes where you have ones that are more based on the zodiacal signs and some that are more really focused on the rulers or, or the planets themselves. There's all sorts of different things. I just found out recently that, you know, like, like in the Vimshotri dasha, where they're choosing, you know, you're born into a particular period based upon where the moon is. If so, my moon was in uh, Barani, um, where the the or actually, I don't know, you know, it's it's I, I don't remember anymore. But but the moon is in an akshatra that's ruled by Venus. So I was born into Venus Dasha. Okay. Okay. Um, but it turns out that Venus is not always the ruler of Barani. It's it just it depends on which system you're using. Okay. So do you mind if I show your chart really quickly? I yeah, go we ahead. Were, go we, ahead. We were going to show it, and because yes, one of the do. things is you like to use. There's two different primary chart styles in India. There's like the North Indian chart style that's more like a diamond, right? And then there's the South Indian style that's right. more like like a square, basically. What's right? so funny about this is that I learned in Delhi in North India, but my teacher Santanam was from the South. Okay. So I learned so you, the South Indian method. So here you have the Taurus ascendant. Two degrees Taurus is my ascendant. The second house is is Gemini. Um, 
And then if I had been born a few hours later, the uh, that that diagonal line would be over to the right. It would be in Gemini. The square stays the same. Yeah. So so what we're seeing for people listening to the audio version is just a, a square. There's um, a big square, and within that, there's twelve smaller squares all around the the edge of the larger square. And in this chart style, Aries is always the square that's up at like the what is it like the eleven o'clock position, and then it goes. It looks like the signs go clockwise. So from Aries, then Taurus, then Gemini, right. then Cancer, right? And then the sign that is the ascend that has the or contains the ascendant is just marked off with a diagonal line through it. Yeah, that's how it works. And then you're just you just know from there that that sign is the first whole sign house, and the sign that comes yeah. after that is the second, and so on and so forth. Yeah. After a while, you don't have to put Gemini in there. I know which house is Gemini. It's the corner. The right corner is always Gemini. Okay, so, got it. So, so in this chart, look at Venus there. So I have in the fourth house, the house of the mother and land mm -hmm. and real estate. First is Mars at 14 degrees, a great malefic, ruling the 12th house, a very bad house. Then comes Ketu, the, the bottom portion of the serpent, represents everything psychic and metaphysical and otherworldly. And, mm -hmm. and then comes Venus, the ascendant ruler, at 16. So the ascendant ruler Venus is in the house of the mother, one degree away from Ketu, a massive malefic planet, two degrees away from Mars, a massive malefic ruling the evil or terrible 12th house. So I was born into the last uh, four years and nine months of Venus. Those four years and nine months were hellish. My mother was mentally ill, had to go to the hospital when I was three or four years old. My father put us in a in a summer camp, and my my brothers that were like seven and eight, they said, "Let's run away, but we can't take Jimmy because he's too young." So you can oh, wow. you see, so this Venus is just horrific. Now every now that was a dasha, which is not a sub period but a period. Right. So those four years were horrible. Now anytime I come to a Venus sub period, so you have Sun, 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 Moon, Sun, Mars. Eventually, you get to Sun Venus. Then you have moon, 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 Mars, moon, Rahu. Then you get to moon, Venus. Anytime I come to moon, Venus, I have troubles. I have to go get yagyas, chant mantras, because Venus causes such trouble. Now, when I went into the moon, Dasha, the moon rules the third house, which is the arts. And moon is aspected by Mercury. So I was in the arts. I was in drama for 10 years. As soon as Mars began, suddenly... The arts lost their grip. I got into meditation and spiritual because Mars rules the 12th house. Mars rules the marriage house. So I got married. That goes for seven years. Then I hit Rahu and Rahu is massively powerful. Rahu represents cravings and desires for worldly power. Now, mm. if we had more time, I was going to put horoscopes up there of all these Oscar winners. When, when you know, Al Pacino didn't win an Oscar until he went into the Rahu Dasha which was in the in 1990 he got his first dasha his he got his first oscar in 1993 for scent of a woman he had gone into the rahu dasha in 1992 now rahu by parashara was considered exalted in taurus but padia said you take it from me rahu or ketu work best in virgo and i have absolutely found that so when he went into rahu rahu's in the third house the house of the arts in Hindu, in Virgo. He hit that. In the 80s, his work was not 
Pacino's work was not that great in the in the 80s. He was he was doing a lot of stage plays and working on his own. He hit the 90s and he hit Rahu Dasha and his work just took off and that's when he won his Oscar. But people, so many Westerners and, and Hindu, they think, oh, Rahu and Ketu are terrible. Rahu is worldly power. And so my Rahu in the 10th house, that's part of why I always wanted fame and recognition. When I went into the Rahu, when I was in Mars, I, I was pursuing enlightenment. I was going back and forth to Switzerland, meditating on courses for four hours a day for months at a time. As soon as Rahu was over, I hit Rahu. I mean, so as soon as Mars was over, I hit Rahu. Suddenly I said, I don't want my attention on myself. I want to see if I can do something for other people, for the world. That was Rahu Dasha. Right. And you switched from the activation of Mars in your fourth house to suddenly the activation of a placement in your 10th house. Right. But Mars was not, it's not like I was so concerned with land and homes. The Mars Dasha was more about marriage and spiritual. That's just how it worked mm. for me. It was 12th house and 7th because that's what it rules. Um, right. One thing about Rahu, this is extremely important for anybody who's practicing. So I said about 60 or 70% of the people, when they hit Rahu Dasha, they will have enormous changes, change of career, change of marriage, change of a, a parent dies, just big changes. Not everybody, 60, 70%. This is what I tell my clients. If, when you hit your Rahu Dasha, if you have huge changes, they're going to go on for 32 months. It will not settle down. In other words, when you hit Rahu Rahu, and if you have enormous changes, don't expect to feel comfortable and settled till you get to Rahu Jupiter, the next okay. sub-period. Now, if you get to Rahu Rahu and you're in Rahu Rahu for two or three months and there's no big changes, you're free and clear. You won't have the big changes. Okay. Yeah. Th that's great advice. Um, all right. Well, I think I, I would like to actually keep talking, but I think we are out of time at this point because I, I have to run and I know you yeah, have, that's fine. have to as well. But thanks yeah. a lot for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I, I, you know, when I saw how many, you know, videos you've made, <laughs> all glories to you. Yeah, it's uh, almost 200, but it was a great way to sort of culminate almost 200 episodes having someone like yourself on. So thanks a lot for yeah. joining me. People should check out your website and definitely yeah. check out. Um, so those eBooks are out or they're about to be out? Um, I have the spiritual book, Living Reality. That's about enlightenment. The art and practice should be out in the next 10 days. Okay. You never know with them. Sometimes they say, oh, we got a little glitch and it's three weeks, but it's it's the next two or three weeks should be. Brilliant. So people should do yeah. a search for that for the art and practice of, was it yeah. titled Hindu astrology or Vedic astrology? Uh, I titled it the art and practice of ancient Hindu astrology. I just don't like the term Vedic. I don't believe it's Vedic, but I, I use the term now Hindu Vedic because if I don't, I'm going to lose business because some people call it Vedic and it's just a name. you know. Yeah. Just terms that people use. Sometimes you have to yeah. figure out what people are searching for. Otherwise yeah. they won't find the thing that you're putting out there. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thank you. All right. And thanks, everybody, for listening or watching uh, to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Uh, thanks to the patrons for your support, and we will see you again next time.